Hello and welcome to Art Witch, the podcast where creativity, magic, and healing align for personal and collective liberation. I'm your host, Zanetta, and welcome. Art Witch aims to provide resources for creative empowerment, helping folks make and share their art and also find their authentic expression. In this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of artists, witches, and healers, as well as experts in various art industries and related fields, all with the intention of helping folks share their art and their unique magic with the world. Before we get started on today's episode, I just want to prepare you with a gentle content warning. Today's episode is going to talk a lot about money from a personal and societal perspective. So we're going to talk about certain mindsets, triggers, navigating poverty, All sorts of stuff that kind of has to do with money, our resources, and being artists in the world, and as well as dealing with the IRS and dealing with taxes and stuff like that. So I know this isn't the lightest episode on Art Witch. I don't even know if we have a light episode on Art Witch, but this one gets into a lot of stuff that I think for a lot of folks can be intense. So... Just please center your intuition, take it slow if you need to, or just skip it all together. I know that this episode has so, so much to offer us. I feel very proud actually to be able to bring this episode into the world to connect with our guest as someone who grew up with a lot of deep financial instability and economic hardship. For me, this episode means a lot and it's something that is part of my larger vision for creative folks and our creative collective in general is financial solvency is being able to take care of ourselves is finding sustainability in our creative endeavors and as such i actually want to dedicate this episode to my dad who was a musician and who struggled deeply with navigating financial resources and dealing with economic hardships. So this episode is for you, dad, (laughs) wherever you are. And I also want to just say that if any point this is really intense for you, I encourage you to just take deep breaths, take care of yourself, go for a walk, hit pause, Don't try to necessarily digest the whole thing in one sitting. Money, work, work around resources, work around taking care of self through resources. This stuff is slow but consistent work that we can get into. So just please be gentle and patient with yourself. In other news, this weekend we actually have a free live 
community meditation in honor of Ostera, the spring equinox. The equinoxes are my favorite moments on the wheel of the year. They are deeply, deeply powerful moments of liminality and remembering our multi-dimensional spirits. It's huge for those of you who feel like you access many streams of experiences, perspectives, identities, and you need that space to kind of breathe fresh air into that, to feel into your fluidity. This is the time of the year along with the fall equinox. Those are two powerful points in our wheel of the year experience. So if you want to join that, that's March 20th, this Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And it's free. Donations are welcome, but they're not required by any means. I'd much rather you have the opportunity to join us, join like-hearted folks in that space. And you will have to register in advance. It's going to be hosted on Insight Timer, the app, and you'll see the link down below in the show notes. So go ahead, click that link and register. And that gives you an opportunity to be notified and to have the link to the live and all that jazz. So I'm so excited to gather with you all in that way and I can't wait, honestly. So without further ado, I want to say I hope you enjoy this episode. I really, really enjoyed it and I hope that you find the resources and that you actually get a chance to connect even further with today's guest because she offers so, so much through her Instagram account and through her website and just has a lot of resources for people specifically in the Art Witch community. So it's awesome to get a chance to talk to today's guest. So without further ado, here is today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's so wonderful to be with you on today's episode and to gather with today's guest. It's really, really a topic that I feel especially strongly about. The ideas around money, around creativity, around how financial solvency really impacts our art and our journeys. And I feel really grateful to be in conversation with today's guest, Hannah Cole from Sunlight Tax. Hannah is an amazing painter and a tax expert who specializes in working with creative people and their businesses. Hannah, welcome. Thank you so much for hosting me, Zanetta. I'm really pleased to be here. It's my honor to really be talking with you about this stuff because I think that so often we're kind of all navigating this stuff piece by piece and often in isolation and trying to gather and cherry pick resources here and there. And sometimes you get what you need. And oftentimes you can go for years not knowing about full information around money and finances and your art. So So it's just amazing to be able to sit with you and all your wisdom and your experience. And I just love that you're 
really in this world, you're really in this world of creating and making your art. And that's your deep lens that you're coming from as you share this information about money and taxes. So it's really awesome. Thinking about your journey and thinking about how you connect all these worlds together. I'd love to hear just a little bit about your background and how you got into art making and how that kind of tied in with getting into money, financial, tax work. I think I knew I wanted to be an artist from as soon as I could hold a crayon. It just always called to me. And, you know, from pretty early days, I got dual competing messages about that, like follow your dream, you know, follow your talent do what you love. You can be anything. And also you'll never make money as an artist. You need a real career. So that sort of like double speak was there right out of the gate. And so I think that was kind of in there in the, as background noise. I did choose to become an artist. And I think what really drew me to that path was feeling like I just wanted to be myself and being an artist. Like I love to draw. I mean that and the fact that I just want to be who I am. <laughs> And look at the world the way that I see it and have that be a thing that is valued. And I had a very strong interest, still do, in political science. And I tried going into that and I realized, oh, you have to sort of put a facade up. You have to kind of be careful about your appearance in this world. And I was like, I'm not into that. <laughs> I just want to be me. And I hope that people like that, or at least some people like that. So I think that was definitely the attraction of the community. But of course, just like this sort of meditative practice of drawing, like being in front of an object and drawing it was like really my initial love. But I think just in terms of how money has played into that, like I said, I got that sort of mixed message right out of the gate about how it was going to be difficult and maybe I shouldn't do it at the same time that I'm being told I should do it. And so I think I just had a lot of different touch points along the way where I learned about the importance of money, the fact that even if you ignore it, it's still going to play a large role in your life. And so it's better to have control over that role versus ignore it and not have control. I've also had a lot of lessons, actually more from my activist side. I've spent much of my life being an activist on various political issues. Always, 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 it will come down to this power dynamic where you know I kind of get patted on the head oh, there, there, little girl, what a lovely campaign you're running. But you know, in the end, we make our decisions based on money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. And I was just like, all these wonderful things you're saying, we totally agree, you're wonderful. Yes, 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 but money. And so that was always the stopping point. And it was like, if you couldn't address the money, you weren't going to get anywhere. So I came to realize that when you can speak the language of money, and when you can align an economic incentive with a good for the world output, then you really can change the world. And so I've had some like very tangible experiences of how powerful it is to actually really get to the source, which is money. And so in this ironic way, I'm a person who is quite disinterested in money, <laughs> who focuses her entire life on it. That's a very classic tale because people who take up the mantle of doing certain work, they didn't like go out to go and do it. But it just became part of them 
kind of walking authentically in in their life and like taking action that's aligned with their sacred values. And you see the problem, you see the issues and you're like, okay, this is what needs to happen. It's totally true. And it's really ironic too, because, you know, it also means I'm constantly on a tightrope, you know, in the world that I'm in, and I'm in a community with artists and creative people, this community can be very triggered by money stuff. In fact, I've had some kind of nasty experiences on social media because of it. There's a lot of very unhealthy narratives that are piled upon us that sometimes we take in without realizing it. A lot of value placed on I mean, like literal value placed on it. So it can be very tricky, nuanced territory, for sure. And it is very funny to be sort of obsessively working on a thing you're trying to not be obsessed mm-hmm. with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also for your own well-being. This isn't the only thing about yourself, but it's also something that you see and you have this skill and you have these capabilities. And it's just very interesting to dig in in those places. Well, I appreciate you and I appreciate that you've been weaving these worlds together and, you know, doing that work for all of us out there. I'd love to get into a little bit more about this idea of identity as artist and navigating how money plays into that. I knew I was meant to be an artist like from age three. I knew it. I just felt drawn to doing this thing. And I felt drawn to everyone I knew who did this thing. And I feel like a lot of people, both artists and spiritual people, kind of come to it more like a calling or an identity than like a career or a business. And that is such a wonderful thing. Like how incredible to have that kind of gift. My spouse is constantly saying to me, like, I wish I just like knew what my thing was the way that you do. He feels like he never had a thing the way I've always had art. But there's a little bit of a danger, really technically, just from the IRS, when you identify that way, because our career, our profession is so intertwined with our personal identity that it can get a little hard to separate the stuff that you need to keep Mm. separate. Sometimes you launch a product and it's a flop. Sometimes you do a group of paintings and people don't respond to them. And that's, it's not because you're a terrible person. (laughs) There's like healthy separation that is worthwhile. But I think also in terms of just the IRS, like the interesting thing when it comes to your taxes is that basically all of the benefits in the tax code accrue to you because you are a business. And so if you are looking at yourself in a way that is not as a business, you can actually do damage to yourself tax-wise or get yourself in some more difficult territory, certainly more expensive. But basically, you know, from the IRS perspective, you want to be really clear that you are a business and not operating a hobby, if of course that's the case. I mean, if you are operating a hobby, you have to file your taxes that way. But if you have what the IRS deems business-like behavior, which is basically that you have a profit motive, then you get all this great stuff in the tax code. You get to deduct expenses. You get to take a loss in bad years and in your startup years. And those things are benefits to you. But if you sort of don't think to treat yourself like a business, which I see, and I see that being an issue in people who feel kind of called in this very deep way to their work, that it can actually be a little bit dangerous because you're actually far more at risk of being classified as a hobby instead of a business. And then losing all the benefits that a business would get. Right. 
That's some heavy stuff because there's so much healing work that comes to living in a in an overculture in a society where these are identities that are not uplifted and celebrated readily, like witch, healer, artist. That's a great one. <laughs> these are not identities that are easy to own and to step into. So it's like even the path to get to that point can be very perilous. And yet when you arrive, it's saying, yeah, I'm a witch. Yeah, I'm a creative mystic or whatever you would like to label yourself as and through your work, then how that labeling can really alter your perception and filter on your activities and on the way that you handle your resources, how you claim your resources, how you then interface with the government around your resources. Wow. That's mm -hmm. just, yeah. the, you just kind of opened up a world, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's a good thing. <laughs> I just also love like how we began basically our conversation before this talking about smashing the patriarchy. <laughs> so it's like, I feel this sense of resonance and support and being able to talk with someone about this who understands feminism, who understands this situation, because I think there's a lot of struggles to interface with the government and to interface with the IRS and to kind of proactively step into financial awareness and doing your taxes and meeting that stuff head on. Because there's also this resistance on a political level, which is an everything level. <laughs> but there's this, you know, resistance that I think can occur for a lot of us in this community that's like, I'm not okay with where my tax money goes. I'm not okay with how things are being handled or the leadership. There's like so many levels of that and layers. And I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts about supporting yourself with those perspectives and that journey around, you know, your personal values and beliefs, especially politically, and how you then also engage with this stuff proactively. Oh, there's so much there. When I look at who has power in the world now, or who has the most of it, and some of that means who has money and who has the most of it, you know, it's predominantly white men. When you look at statistics of what women do when they have money, and what people of color do when they have money and what indigenous people do when they have money. The statistics tell an incredible story about how we could change the world. And that is getting money to non-white people and women and people who have felt disempowered and disenfranchised, whether that is because they're queer or trans, basically just different identities outside of that sort of white hetero male thing. I mean, just to give you like a taste of those statistics, female CEOs statistically blow men out of the water in terms of their businesses being environmentally sustainable. When women worldwide, women and girls, when they have money, they spend 90% of it on people in their lives, predominantly children or aging parents. Their money is more community oriented. 90% of their money they spend on the people immediately surrounding them. So it's uplifting children, it's uplifting the elderly. Men, by contrast, spend 30 to 40% of their money on other people. 
So when I just look at what's going on in the world, I just want to correct that balance. Like I feel like my fight is getting money into the right hands. And a lot of that is mindset work. I'm not going to say that the whole system is because of the barriers we hold inside ourselves. You are not going to solve systemic racism by changing your mindset. (laughs) Like, let me be perfectly clear. Like there are structures in place that I would like to smash like the patriarchy. But there's also some self-created barriers inside of that. I mean, the patriarchy in part exists inside of us, right? And you can at least smash it inside yourself. And in fact, you need to in order to smash it out there. So I think that's like a really big deal. I really appreciate you saying that there's several pieces of that that I felt were really healing to hear out loud and on air. First, the idea that systemic oppression is not something that's a mindset. (laughs) Love it. And then also the agency that we do have and that we do need to employ feels so right on time. I recently applied for the Creative Capital Grant. And one of the hardest things for me around that was I just don't feel worthy of like $50,000. Like, is my art worth this support? And it over and over and over like haunted me hard. And I mean, I must have called on every ancestor possible. (laughs) It's just like, I was at the edge of the world, just crying out basically and being like, help me to do this. And, and I had to come to terms with some of those mindsets that you're talking about that I have just so long, like, distanced myself from large sums of money growing up in like a very, very like low income situation and very unstable financially situation and really over identifying with the circumstances, feeling like that's like some sense of a true self and then having to kind of recognize, well, what would you do with that money? As a steward of those resources, how would you distribute those resources? How would you affect change and support others who are more vulnerable than yourself? And when I came to that place, I was like, oh, I really, really want this money. (laughs) Like I just owned it. I love that. But I think that's how to do it. What is the change you want to see in the world? And are you a person who can do it? And what I mean is, I think you are. And how do we get you to step in to you being the one to make the change? You don't have to wait for a white dude politician. But yeah, I think that's so right on. And also that you, I mean, I'm getting very personal here, but that you recognize that in yourself. I think that's a huge deal because a lot of people don't even see that it's happening so that you knew to call on your ancestors in that moment and you were there. You knew what you needed. Yeah. Some of those, you know, those mindsets are such deep burdens and so heavy that it's like you can't hold it all really owning the fact that there is a spiritual component to all this that there's you know other ways to support yourself through this process that aren't solely just i've read this book now i'm going to think differently or something there's some things that need to be worked out in different ways on a systemic level we do tend to blame the individual and one of the really ugly underbellies of our capitalist system. And I will say there's a really positive side and I represent the positive side, at least a part of it, because I am making a business my own way that I think kind of breaks the mold in a way I feel very proud of. So there's a good side, but I think there's a really ugly underbelly to our capitalist system that's very individualistic. That's like, it's all your fault. 
if you don't make it, it's all your fault. There's no societal responsibility. Everything's on you. I think it's just really important to hold in your mind. Like, yeah, you and systemic racism. Yeah. You're not going to solve that because you think the right thoughts, but thinking the right thoughts can help you at least not reinforce it inside yourself. So it's not easy work at all. And I think you can affect individual action with mindset shift. And that's really important. Like it's actually key and it's critical, but then there is also, it needs to be paired with larger systemic political work because smashing the patriarchy is not only going to happen by one individual person. It's got to also be a collective action at the same time. So there's sort of two levels that all of these things operate on. And it can be very tricky because I think sometimes I've even had people get upset with me on Instagram because they think they interpreted what I was saying about mindset as saying poor people are poor because they have the wrong mindset, which is in fact, an attitude that's been perpetuated in our society, I think in a very ugly way to say like society has no responsibility for people who have bad or unlucky circumstances. All of that is on them as individuals. I don't think that's true. I think there are, there's two parts always. Yeah. It's much more nuanced and much more complicated than that. Actually, you can't just go and point to one thing and say, this is why this is happening. There's it really depends on the person, the circumstances, the way they interact with those circumstances, what's reinforcing that, what mm-hmm. access they have to resources and other information. And when you were talking, it reminds me a little bit of lucid dreaming in a sense where the mindset shift is cognizance. It's that lucidity that can occur around something that was a pattern that you had no idea about. And it's, it's not all too different from, you know, any kind of mindfulness practice or something where you're suddenly aware of your breath or you're, you know, you're aware of your emotions in a situation where you're feeling very triggered. It's not that these circumstances altogether change because they can't change just by one of us doing that. But the lucidity that each individual accesses And then how those micro shifts occur in one's life and then in one's community and ripple out, I do believe in very firmly. Absolutely. A very important shift for people to make is there's research by Barbara Stanny, who's a quite wonderful writer about economic issues, especially with women. She did research about women who are chronic under earners. And one thing that all of her subjects had in common was that they tended to valorize poverty, attribute positive qualities to poverty, and attribute negative qualities to wealth and to people who have wealth. What's interesting to see is that there is a correlation between that attitude and actually living in poverty. That's just a fact. That just exists. But if you think about how that plays out in your daily life, if you think it's evil and corrupt to have money and you think it's noble to not, what are you going to do in a salary negotiation? Are you going to be on your own side there or not? It's pretty clear to me that you're not going to kind of hit it as hard as you can or actually go in with an expectation. I deserve this and I will put a lot of good into the world because of this. I will help my children. I will help my aging parents. I will help my community build that library, community garden, fill in the blank. When you think about what power you want, what things you want to do, what change you want to make, 
you need money, <laughs> you need, you need power. And so you actually have to sort of believe in that agency in yourself. Yeah, I had so much guilt about growing up with privilege. I will tell you, this is a very personal thing. I don't think I've ever said this out loud. I had so much guilt about growing up with privilege that I actually dropped out of school for a year and did community service. I just wanted to feel more connected to people living with problems I hadn't grown up next to. And I hated myself for what I was born with. And a lot of people are happy to hate me for what I was born with, (laughs) but I don't need to hate myself for it. And I just thought, you know, with the things I have no power to control thing, you know, what I was born with is something I cannot change. But what I can do with it is spread the gospel of, I have been here. I've went to Yale. I've seen my classmates there and I can come back and say, there's nothing they deserve more than anybody else. We didn't all get born into the same circumstances, but we all have the same value. I think that's a little piece of kind of what informs what I do and why I do it. I appreciate you sharing that and sharing that perspective of just coming to terms with those aspects of your own journey. I know for a lot of people who listen, because I've connected with so many of the folks who are listening in this community, Money is just the most overwhelming thing. It's the thing that people think about a lot, but it's also the thing that is the first thing to be avoided in some ways. And if anyone's listening, I want to say that I love you all and I totally feel you on that. (laughs) And that's why we're all gathering in this episode. (laughs) Like a month out from taxes, a month out from tax season to really just honor that we deserve to be supported in our visions for a better collective and that we're all working towards that in our own ways like that's the thing about all of us art witches out there it's like we're trying to affect change being a witch means that you're connecting to energy and that you're wielding energy in a way to shift the circumstances for something better. And I don't want to say that money is purely energetic because there's a lot of problematic language around that that's been just blasted out over and over and over again. And I'm not going to go there, but I will just say that to affect change, we have to be able to take care of ourselves. (laughs) Like we have to, we have to. And I, I think... One of the things that was coming up while I was doing research for this episode was thinking about the body. And the body is often this place where we talk a lot about how politics plays out on ourselves and in the ways that we feel we are allowed to care for ourselves, the permission to be well, to thrive, and how that really plays into money mindsets and choices and how that impacts our artistic offerings and our creative offerings. And I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts about this interplay between body, money, and creative offerings. Oh, I love that. What a nice question. I've been thinking about this really revolutionary idea, Jen Armbrust. She has a wonderful book a friend gave me, a witch friend gave me, called Proposals for a Feminine Economy. One of the things that I love about it, she has this sort of matrix for a feminist business. And it says, first principle, you have a body. 
So I just want to credit her because it's not my original idea, but I think it's brilliant. Capitalism is not built around the idea that you have a body, you know, <laughs> like, or a male dominated version of capitalism isn't built around that. But when you consider your body, you think you need rest, you need food, you need housing. And in fact, this is a way that I can communicate with people, sort of spiritually centered people, artistic people, people who feel that what we do is a calling more than a business. Well, you have a body and it needs food, right? And that costs what? <laughs> that costs money. If you have children, you might want some maternity leave. You might want some parental leave. You might want some rest, some bonding time. That also costs money. Money is a tool to get rest and to get nourishment. I think those things make it feel more neutral and less for people for whom money is very triggering. And I think that that idea of just you deserve to not be hustling all the time, you deserve to nap, you deserve to rest, you deserve to have wellness. Those things are centered in the fact that you have a body. I think I like to connect it with the meaningfulness of the work that we do. I would guess that every single person, every single one listening to this right now feels that their work is really meaningful. And I certainly believe that. And I think a way to help shift your mindset around money, if you are coming from that like highly charged negative place about it, is what is the work you're doing in the world? How much more reach could you have? How much more impact could you have with this important, incredible work that you're doing if you had more money? And if you also had more time because you didn't spend it all stressing about money, like money is having an impact on your business right now. For a lot of us, that impact it's having is a constant nagging distraction, a constant feeling of terror of the IRS, uh, you know, a sort of constant feeling that one day it's going to hit the fan because we have not been doing the planning that we need to, to get the ultimate rest at the end, like to be able to retire. I very much feel this. I've traversed a wide spectrum of financial access in my lifetime and have really seen how it's shifted the way that I make art very literally like the way that I make art has been so deeply impacted by my financial access you make decisions differently like for me at least I saw how I was making decisions on scarcity I was making decisions to grab as many opportunities as possible and like really spreading myself thin and not really getting a chance to direct my energy towards the things that I really felt drawn to or really felt like this was the thing that I personally needed to put out into the world. And it's only really been in the last couple of years or so that I've really felt like I could kind of start accessing something different and the difference has been everything. It's like, oh, is this what it's like for people to feel like they can take a sick day? Because I'm self-employed, I saved enough money to be able to take days off. If in case I got sick, I created like a sick day fund where I basically saved money to be able to be sick. I can't even tell you like how liberating that was for me when I realized if I fell ill, even just from the flu or something, I could take a break mm -hmm. and it would be okay. I was just like, I'm the most powerful, badass person I know. 
That's so big. <laughs> For me, that was like, whoa, because I grew up in this place of just you never know and just very like hand to mouth kind of experience. Mm -hmm. And then getting to that place as an adult, I was just like, wow, I don't have to take that opportunity. I could decide I can go a different direction and that's okay. That's so wonderful. I love that. Thinking about the tangible, because of course, we wouldn't be in a money episode if we didn't talk about the practical, right? But I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts about initial steps or actions that someone could take to start to reclaim agency with money. And especially given the season that we're in, Sure. I do want to bookmark for you that speaking of taking sick days, that there is actually a provision in this stimulus bill, not the $1.9 trillion one, but the one before it that was passed December 27th, 2020, that actually allows self-employed people to get a tax credit for sick days due to COVID. That is just like a hot tip for this year for your audience. It's actually an incredibly big credit. If you haven't filed your taxes yet, do not miss this credit. It's called the COVID sick leave credit or the family leave credit. You can get it also, not just if you were, you get up to 10 days of sick leave credit, which is basically a tax credit that they base on your average daily income as a freelancer. And that can be based either on your 2019 or 2020 income, whichever is higher to get you the bigger credit. And there's also a family leave credit if you had to, for example, take care of children who were not in school. I say this because my children have been out of school for one year. The homeschool parents out there, or the involuntary homeschool parents, <laughs> of which I count myself. So that's a huge credit. I mean, I will tell you that for a person like me who gets the full credit, it gave me $10,000 credit on my tax return. So that is not small potatoes. On my Instagram, I post videos about these things. So I have one. If you're scrolling through, I'm wearing a blue jumpsuit. So you see the blue, <laughs> the blue jumpsuit. That's the one where I explain how to do the calculation for this particular credit. And that's at Sunlight Tax if you want to find it. That's a real practical one for like right now, speaking of what you just mentioned. Another really just important thing to get your head around is that basically thinking of yourself as a business is important on your taxes. And actually, it's funny because it kind of forces you into the mindset stuff right up front. So I like to tell people that I can be your money guilt fairy godmother if you want me to. <laughs> like, It's okay to make money. I grant you permission. Just do it. <laughs> lose the guilt because actually for taxes you the whole protection that you get in the tax code for being allowed to take expenses against your taxable income is that you operate with a profit motive so you have to be trying to make money in order to have a business in the eyes of the IRS so that's like a really important thing to note especially in a world where you might do it because you love it you know in that world where you do it because you love it, then you can get into this tricky area where it, you can get called a hobby because of that. <laughs> so I want people who do what they love to know that they actually have to have a profit motive for their own protection. Side note, the card that corresponds to this, my friends, <laughs> in the tarot that I think is a really helpful energy to work with 
is the nine of pentacles, which actually came up for this episode, which is that permission to make money and to receive money. And there's that kind of allowing the self to thrive in that way and to love what you do and still want to make money at it. I think for a lot of the people that are listening, there's varying degrees of where they're at in their creative journey. Like a lot of people are still very much in this side hustle space, right? They may be working a full-time job and they've been navigating taxes for a while in that regard and getting like W-2s and stuff like that. But what does it mean to have this side hustle experience? And everyone that's listening, I just want to say like, that is not how I necessarily organize our creative output, but I just want to give some language that is commonplace (laughs) around it. But yeah, a lot of people are like, I would say in between worlds in terms of their art practice, making money or making their full-time living off of their art or not. I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, it can be a really hard place to be, especially because, and I'll say this, you know, I got into this because I am an artist myself. I've been a practicing painter for 17 years. I always felt so confused about how to file my taxes because like many creative people, I don't just make income from one thing. I sell paintings through my gallery in New York. I sell paintings through my gallery in North Carolina. I might get a random commission. I might get a grant. I might have some open studio sales or even, you know, decide to try to sell something on Etsy or something. So like things would come in from random places and I didn't know how to combine them. And so I think something that's really important to know when you're in this space, which many creative people are, and most creative people start out with it as a side hustle, and then it moves hopefully to a bigger portion, hopefully to the whole thing eventually. I mean, depending on what you want. I hope you get the power to do what you want, whatever that is. And so I think the important thing to know is that your side hustle, the only thing that you need for that to be considered a business is you need a profit motive. You need to be trying to make money. And if you are, then you are allowed to call yourself a business and you're allowed to file a Schedule C, which is basically just the tax form that says, I'm a freelancer, I run a small business. And it's okay, you're perfectly allowed to do that if you to file a Schedule C, even if you have a day job doing something else with a W-2. So these things can go in combination. But maybe the most important thing to realize is that that Schedule C income, that independent creative practice, the money that you make there, no taxes have been held out of it, right? So you cannot spend all of the money when you get money in the door, you have to be setting aside a certain portion of it to pay taxes. And taxes, they can feel high when you're a freelancer because they are subject to self-employment tax. Everything you earn on that Schedule C, everything you earn on the freelance side is subject to 15.3% self-employment tax, which is honestly, back to zooming up, I'm constantly like toggling between individual level and societal level, but on a societal level, That's a great thing because that's you paying into your social security and Medicare so that you can rest, speaking of having a body, and so you can have health care in your old age. So that's a good thing, but it's like you paying for you in the future, but it can make your taxes feel really high because that 15.3% comes on top of your income tax rate. So what a lot of freelancers mess up on is they realize they owe income tax, but they forget that they owe self-employment tax. 
So their taxes are like twice as high as they thought they were. When we finally got really into the rhythm of just setting aside the money ahead of time and in advance, it really worked out. It really, really helped. And it was really a key moment in the journey, even though like no one gets to see this stuff except you, you know, your tax preparer, if they're helping you out. It's a small victory within, (laughs) but it's huge in many ways because that stuff doesn't sneak up on you. And I think about all the unemployment that people have been getting this year and think about how like the taxing of unemployment. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, you keep touching on these very, very up to the minute stimulus items here. I don't know if you're aware of doing them. Yeah. So unemployment traditionally, and even before, you know, two weeks ago, unemployment was taxed. It's taxed on the federal level and it is often tax on the state level. That will vary depending what state you're in, but most states tax unemployment too. So it kind of stinks because you think you're getting this full benefit and then it's not a full benefit because if the government is going to give you money and then take money out of it again, it's like just lessening the amount. However, interestingly, in this stimulus bill, the $1.9 trillion stimulus bill that was just signed by President Biden, they have this wonderful, happy provision in there that allows your first $10,200 of unemployment income, unemployment benefit, to be tax-free. So this is very important for your listeners to know. They might need to hang on to that tax return. It's rare that you're going to find a tax pro like me being like, don't file right away. But this is a moment where you might want to hang on for a minute before hitting send on that tax return. Because this is brand new legislation. It is retroactive for 2020. So you might want to hang on until further guidance comes out about this because most tax software is not yet updated with this provision. If you file your taxes today, your tax software may calculate tax on that unemployment. If you wait a week, it might not. Are you just like nail biting? Oh, I'm nail biting. I'm stressed like you can't believe on this stuff because retroactive tax laws, do you know what that does to my business? It is such a headache. (laughs) It means I have spent the last week creating a system to track every return I've already filed, which is a lot. I now have to like create a tag for every single person who I've filed who had unemployment and notify them (laughs) and then be like, and we're going to have to do something, but we don't exactly know what yet because we're still waiting. I mean, like literally I checked the guidance on the IRS website today, or I think we're recording a little before this will go live, but I checked it today and the guidance from the IRS was just wait, we're going to do something. We're not telling you yet, but we will. So literally that's my best answer to my clients is like, hold on. I know this makes you anxious, but just better to wait. Wow. I mean, you know, I'm about to do all my tax stuff and it's just when I was researching this topic and thinking about all your work, I just thought so many of us are hanging in there with unemployment. And then this amazing news, but also nail biting (laughs) came through. This Biden tax bill, it is amazing. I am so happy about it. It has so many really good things in it that they're going to make a difference in people's lives. And I will say it's very nonpartisan. It's going to make a difference in everybody's life. It's going to make my life really hard (laughs) as a tax person having to implement them. But I'm so thrilled. For example, there's going to be direct payments to families with children, monthly payments up to $300 per child per month per family. 
which is a lot of money. It is basically the beginning of a guaranteed income for children. I mean, it is revolutionary. It's so exciting. And also, you're not going to have to wait. This is kind of a newsflash. This has not been widely reported, but you don't have to wait till next April, till next tax filing. The money is going to start coming out proactively in checks in the month of July. That's huge. It's going to make such a difference. The bill is going to lift 50% of American children out of poverty. It's massive. So I just want to say thank you to anybody who called to get out the vote. Anyone who was in Georgia. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's amazing news. I did not know that at all. I'm just kind of blown away. It's pretty intense. This bill is actually, it's so positive. And, you know, I have had to digest all the tax bills of the last four years, and I've done it in a state of horror at times. And I'm upset at the way things are going. Seeing the threshold and the estate tax double made me so upset. And to see a bill like this come through, I just feel like, oh, hallelujah. It feels so good to me. It feels like our country's sort of realigning priorities again. So interesting how you're seeing that from your perspective, really, really seeing the, the tangible effects of a government policy like coming through and just the shift, the sea change in leadership in our government and how you've had to navigate that still and support people through that still, even when that was happening. You're in the trenches, Hannah. And once again, it comes down to money. You know, what I want is alleviation of childhood poverty. And what does that mean? It means money. So it's like, again, it comes back to the money stuff. And here, you know, to anybody who like made phone calls and got out the vote, you helped this bill pass. You helped do this. So I just think, no, people don't see the direct results of their actions all the time. But I'm telling you, this bill is amazing. And if you made a phone call, you are a part of it and you should celebrate. So it just feels like, yeah, it matters. This is money in the pockets of kids who don't have food right now, some of them. So such a big deal. I want to say how much I appreciate you, your journey, all the hard ass work you have done in your life to be able to share this work with other people, with our community. It's so clear that you've really put the time in and you really care. I just, I'm thankful for you. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. I appreciate it. I have one more question for you. And that is, what advice would you have for your younger artist or your emerging artist self? I have so much empathy for her. What a struggle. (laughs) What a difficult period that is. I think I would say... Trends come and go. Sometimes your art will be in style and fashion and sometimes it won't. Just ignore it all. Just do the work you're called to do. One day the trend will come around to you. (laughs) One day you'll be considered a genius for doing what no one else is doing. And even though you were called stupid two weeks before, (laughs) just you just ignore the noise. Just keep doing the work that feels authentically like the best work that you can make. I really do kind of feel at this age and this I've been around the cycles long enough to know like that things kind of shift around in the world. The other thing I discovered as an artist was I would always, and I'm curious how that sort of those of you in the witchy world kind of feel about this particular aspect. But I always felt when I was making a new body of work, I would often have a crisis right before I had a breakthrough. And that I would just like feel this awful pent up, 
unknowing or dissatisfaction. And it's hard to describe exactly, but do you know what I'm saying? Just something needed to change. I knew it. I didn't want to be making the work I was making anymore. Some, Some radical shift was about to take place. And it always felt terrible. And I have been through that cycle enough times to know that that is the feeling I get right before I have an amazing breakthrough. So it's actually the darkness before the dawn. The cycles have taught me that that just listening to myself, my body already knows it's coming to just like have a little faith in that process. It's not a very tangible thing for such a practical person as I am, but I think I come from a very scientific minded family that was not very super spiritually oriented. And so for me, my journey has been like learning to trust that feelings and the cycle and the like wisdom and my inherent wisdom. I love that so much. That's such a deep recurring theme on this podcast. And hearing that you've been through that cycle many times is very it's a little bit of a bomb on my creative soul. I'm I'm loving it. <laughs> I do actually really feel you on that. I forgot in what context I was thinking about this or who I was talking to, but it was this idea that the work that is really unique to you and that you authentically need to do in this lifetime or yourself, I feel like for me, it's you become the person that you need to be in order to create that work. It's not that you get the idea and then suddenly you're just are you transform through that process and there's something really important about that that I rarely start a project being the person that made it I shift into becoming the person who created that I feel like that speaks just a tad bit to the idea of of our own rhythms and listening and knowing what those cycles invite us into. Absolutely. I have a feeling that the people listening to this are far more in touch than I was when I was starting out. But I have really developed a trust in my sort of impulses and instincts as an artist as I've grown. I used to need to interrogate them all and I needed to know why. I found that why would always come, but sometimes it might be a decade later. (laughs) I mean, like it might take its sweet time. But sometimes I would just feel like, you know what, this is the material I need to use right now. There'd be an impulse like that. Or like, this is the thing I'm drawing now. I'm obsessively making drawings of weeds. I can't explain it, but there's something about this that compels me. And I've found that every single time, once I let it marinate, once I kind of go into the work and I just accept it and I do it, the reasons will come. They come later, but they do come. For such a sort of straight arrow fact-based person, which is the person I grew up as and and still am in many, many ways. But just to trust in that has been kind of revolutionary, realizing how incredibly wise that internal compass can be. I think I'm a better artist for listening to it. So. Thank you so much, Hannah. I know a lot of people find that healing to hear And also, I feel like a lot of folks will want to connect with you further outside of this conversation. And I'd love to know where they can connect with you, connect with your work, if there's any upcoming 
opportunities to learn from you. Yeah, I am so happy to connect. If you want to send me a direct message on Instagram and tell me that you listen to this, I would just love to know. You can find me on Instagram at Sunlight Tax. I give tax tips on Monday, every Monday, and usually a lot more than that. So there's that. Yeah, if you want to hear a free training from me, I'm giving one on March 30th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. I think we mentioned that in the show notes, we can put the link for registering for that, but you can also find it at my Instagram. When this goes live, I should have the link up, but I'll do a free training about getting a handle of your taxes and your money. And with a lot of mindset stuff, it's basically me kind of walking you through a framework. It's the framework that I use to help people grow from terror and denial in their money all the way to the height, which to me is smashing the patriarchy and growing your wealth. I'll talk a lot about smashing the patriarchy in this free training. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah, so much for everything that you shared today. I just so appreciate you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. I love what you're doing with this podcast. It's really an honor to be here. So thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode of Art Witch, please consider subscribing or writing a review. Each and every little bit helps spread the word to more and more people. 